Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Well, we just confessed a, a moment ago in the Creed, uh, uh, Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession, uh, the founding document of the Lutheran Church, seems uh, maybe an odd thing to confess today. Uh, our Lenten series this year has been on the Lord's Supper, which you might be surprised uh, to know that Lutherans can and do call the Mass. Uh, the opponents of Lutheranism accuse the early Lutherans of abolishing or getting rid of the Mass. Uh, but what they got rid of were practices degrading the Mass, the Lord's Supper, uh, obscuring its benefits or misinterpreting its purposes. Uh, so here you have Lutherans saying, uh, no, we celebrate the Mass, and in fact, we celebrate it with the highest reverence. And we should. The Lord's Supper is, after all, heaven come to earth. It is our Lord Jesus in flesh and blood. It is our highest good. So any Lutheran church that you go to should celebrate the Mass and do so with the highest reverence. Uh, but this article, while explaining from Scripture that the, the reverence owed to the Lord's Supper, also gives us the Lutheran view of the place of ceremony, of music, uh, even of art thus making it fitting for today, April 6th, which is the commemoration date of the Lutheran artists, Lucas Cranach and Albrecht Dürer. Now, just a brief note on these two men. Uh, Lucas Cranach the Elder uh, was one of the most prolific Reformation painters. Uh, he was a close friend of Martin Luther in Wittenberg. And it's partly because of Cranach that Luther's preaching of the gospel spread as far as it did. You know, we credit Henry Ford with the invention of the assembly line. Really, it should be Cranach. Uh, Cranach uh, developed an assembly line of painters to copy his artwork um, so that it could spread farther. You'd have more copies going more places. Uh, one of his most famous paintings that he did this with is entitled Law and Gospel, uh, which is a very important thing for Lutherans, Law and Gospel. His paintings interpreted the Bible so that common people who, in most cases in those days, uh, couldn't read, could know who Christ was and, and what he did. The Wittenberg altarpiece is before you on your service folder on the back side. Uh, you can see on there, on that picture, that every panel represents a means of grace, uh, one of the marks of the church. You've got the four panels each showing one of the marks of the church, baptism, Lord's Supper, absolution, and preaching of the gospel. Uh, this uh, picture next to me that usually hangs in my office uh, is the, the foundation uh, painting in that, that triptych, uh, Luther preaching Christ crucified. Uh, Cranach himself is among the congregation. Uh, so all of this is to say that we are saved not by our hands, but by God's, by Jesus. Albrecht Dürer was another admirer of Martin Luther, and by some accounts, uh, only second to Luther in his influence 
uh, on the day. Uh, Dury is considered uh, to be the master woodcutter, uh, the master of the woodcut technique. Uh, this is where an artist would uh, carve an image, a reverse image, on a piece of wood, and then ink would be applied uh, on the image to produce uh, an image. Uh, and this was really useful because for the first time it allowed printers to include pictures in books. Uh, Durer produced numerous pictures of Bible stories. And Durer, Durer died on April 6th, which is why their joint commemoration date is today in the Lutheran Church. And it is good to commemorate these two men because there is a proper biblical theology for the place of art. It's, it's probably the most common opinion in American Christianity that what we do with our hands is for God. <clears throat> we praise God. We go to church to praise God. We sing hymns to praise God. We can do whatever we want as long as we're praising God. And so we produce artwork to likewise praise God. But all of that assumes one thing, that God needs something from us, that God needs our praise, that God needs our worship, that God needs our skills. Now, it is true that we do thank and praise God to, to thank Him, but we don't do this by feeling or emoting or declaring our love for God. Rather, we do it by declaring God's love for us. In biblical Lutheran theology, all ceremony, music, as well as art, all serve the purpose to teach so that the unlearned be taught. So, for instance, when you sing hymns, you are not singing for God. God is not a narcissist. He doesn't need you to sing. Rather, you are singing to declare what God has done to everyone around you. Ceremonies are needed for this reason alone, that the unlearned be taught. And the same is true for art, for ceremony. Art serves to teach. We see this pattern in Exodus 31, our Old Testament lesson, with the call of Bezalel to be the chief artist of God's temple. God gave Bezalel the, the, the vocation, as well as all the other artists in the temple, uh, to produce all the furnishings of the tabernacle, many of which we talked about on Sunday in our divine service in connection with Hebrews 9. And then right after this, after Bezalel's call, we see who their work was for. God turns and stops speaking to Bezalel and he speaks to the people. Their work, the artist's work, was for the people. They were to rest on the Sabbath day, meditate on the things God had given them in the tabernacle and through the tabernacle, and all of it was a sign that God was the one, the only one, who created heaven and earth. He is the creator, but also rested on the seventh day. So in other words, the things that we create, we're not doing for God, because he's the creator. He's the maker of heaven and earth. The things we produce are for the edification of God's people. We cannot make anything that God hasn't already made. But there is a time and place for artwork, for beauty. Just as we read of Jesus' rebuke of Judas in our gospel lesson, who uh, falsely presumed to care more about the poor 
than with expensive perfume and anointing our Lord with beauty. Judas would hate beauty being used to teach because he loved himself. He didn't love others. He loved himself. And so, too, we can often falsely use our humility as an excuse for our lack of effort or our laziness when it comes to music or art. Uh, so on this commemoration date for these Lutheran artists, I, uh, to show how important uh, art can be, the, ar- the arts can be, I-, I thought I would use, for example, uh, not the Israelites' Jewish tabernacle uh, and their altar, uh, but our altar in our sanctuary and our artwork. Artwork, our artwork. Uh, the uh, art professor at our church's college, Bethany Lutheran College, uh, has said that we often tend to think of art uh, uh, in a museum. That's where we go to, to view art. Uh, but a museum is like a zoo. You go there and uh, you go there to visit. Uh, each thing is isolated from another, out of uh, out of its natural place and. And you go there just simply to visit. But here in the church, we have a a different kind of experience. Uh, We live with the artwork. This altar here and this statue are constantly present in our life. As we come back to church week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, year after year, maybe even generation after generation. These things, Lord willing, will outlive me. Now, I've not been able to precisely date our altar, uh, but it could be very well uh, at least 80 or maybe even over 100 years old. Uh, Our statue is a little bit newer, uh, a little over 40 years old, replacing the Thorvaldsen Christus statue that St. John's took with them. Uh, But think of how many generations have looked upon these things. So just, just pay attention. What do you see? Well, there are three sections to our altar, to the back of our altar, called a rererdos, reminding you that we worship the Trinity, one God in three persons. In the center of the rererdos, you notice our statue. It depicts Christ on Easter Sunday, showing his hands and feet to doubting Thomas, which, by the way, is, I, I think, a perfect statue for a congregation named Faith. Jesus is calling Thomas to have faith, to believe in him. But you also notice that Christ is within a niche. And with the exception of Christ, it's empty. This is, of course, meant to represent the open tomb. If you, if you let your eyes drift slightly up to above Christ, you'll notice little carvings pointed down at Christ, uh, down on him on the arch. Well, count them. How many are there? There's 12. Uh, But what are these? Uh, Well, an arch needs a foundation. It needs a cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 20 and 21 says that you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
Revelation 21 also says that this city of the church in heaven has 12 foundations, each for the Lamb's 12 apostles. So these are 12 foundations representing the 12 apostles, all pointing towards the one in the center, Jesus Christ, himself the chief cornerstone. And it's on him that the church is built. And there are more clues that this rereros is meant to make you think of the church. Uh, the church built on the foundation of Christ. At the top, there are what look to be spikes or spires pointing upwards. Well, there are eight of these spires, if you don't include the cross. Eight is the number of the church. Uh, after the eight people saved in Noah's ark, the eighth day that Jewish boys were circumcised on and into the covenant family of God, and the eighth day the idea that the church, through holy baptism, which our font has eight sides, uh, that the church, through holy baptism, is brought outside of time into eternity, the eighth day, the day of the new creation. So the number eight, the spires of this altar, of this church, point us to heaven. And all the flowers that you see on the spires and coming out of the rereros are meant to make you think of heaven as the new Garden of Eden, the fulfillment of the Garden of Eden. What else do you notice? Well, above the niche, there is what looks to be like an indented flower with four corners. Uh, that's a quatrefoil. It's meant to represent the four gospel writers, the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At the very bottom of our altar, you see the same symbol with the letters IHS engraved in it. Uh, IHS is a contraction of the Greek word for Jesus. The Gospels, the evangelists, proclaim Jesus. On the altar itself, even our candles say something. Just after the candles in the tabernacle, that Bezalel design. Uh, we have three candles on either side of our altar lit tonight. Uh, to represent the Trinity, uh, but there are two outer candles that you notice that are not lit. Uh, these two single candles represent our Lord's two natures, human and divine, uh, and they are only lit when the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, is celebrated. Now, you can't see this from where you are, uh, but if you get a chance, I invite you to come reverently up to the altar after the service uh, and look on top of the altar where the cloth is. If, if you look down at the cloth, there are five crosses em embroidered onto the cloth. Uh, four on the four corners and then one right in the center. Uh, these are all meant to represent the five wounds of Jesus on the cross. The centermost cross is where each Sunday the chalice containing our Lord's blood, the very same blood that dripped from Jesus' wounds, is meant to be placed in the very center of the altar. Now, all of this, all of this artwork on our altar is not for God. It's for us. It's for you. It, it declares something about God and about God's kingdom to you. It teaches generation after generation, much in the same way that our liturgy uh, is always there 
And, and we should retain those things that have stood the test of time throughout generations because they teach something. And now, we don't need an altar like this. Uh, the first Lutheran divine service in America by our Norwegian forefathers was just 20-something minutes away in Kashkanang. Uh, and there, the altar was a board wedged between two oak trees to serve as the first altar for the first divine service. But just think of how the artwork on our altar allows you to celebrate the Mass with the highest reverence. This altar was a gift from a previous generation to you. We don't know who they were, but like Mary anointing Jesus before his passion with expensive perfume, some old humble farmers, maybe 80, maybe 100 years ago, decided that the expense of this great altar was worth the cost. And some woodworker whose name has been lost to history uh, put in the time to read Scripture, to study Scripture, and then to, to put his skills to use so that you might be edified today. So think in your own life how your attention to our Lord's Word and, and then your production, uh, whether in art, in writing, in in singing, not only here in church, but also in your home. Uh, how might these things might be used generation after generation, gener after generation after you? For ceremonies are needed for this reason alone, that the unlearned be taught. Now, you may not think of yourself as a creative person, uh, but it's been estimated that nearly one-third of the jobs in the U.S. require creativity. I would guess more than that. Your vocation may require you to be creative. The beauty in our divine service can help you in this way. Our 100-year-old altar can help you serve others. The 500-year-old hymns that we sing can help you learn how better to speak of the redemption that has been won for you in Jesus, by Jesus. Your salvation has been won completely by the hands and work of Jesus. You contribute absolutely nothing. Instead, God has given you your hands, like Bezalel, like Mary, like, like Lucas Cranach and Albrecht Durer, to serve your neighbor by declaring God's love to them in all manner of useful arts. I'd like you to please join me in the prayer printed in your service folder. An excerpt from the general prayer in the Lutheran hymnal. Uh, please stand and let's pray this together. Graciously defend us from all calamities by fire and water, from war and pestilence, from scarcity and famine. Protect and prosper everyone in his appropriate calling, and cause all useful arts to flourish among us. Except we beseech thee, our bodies and souls, our hearts and minds, our talents and powers, together with the offerings we bring before thee, which is our reasonable service. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, 
forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>